1: hello and welcome to the football grad podcast i'm your host manu f and yeah i am no longer on the west coast i'm in europe um and i'm joined as always by a great crew and i am going first to the west coast where my my good friend uh tim bochter jeff is joining in tim ah, I, i i left you all alone over there how's it going
2: yeah man, I'm in charge now, so since you left to Europe, I'm in charge of uh, West Coast, and everything was happening in unfortunately in m l s uh yeah, I'm very excited for the pod and um slightly less excited to talk with Andrew about the football grab Derby than I was before the game, but uh, you know i can cannot do much about it i I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Well, ask Andrew, I'm sure Andrew will give us a full insight. Oh, well, well, yeah, uh, I'll, do my, best. I'll yeah,
1: do my best. Yeah, Andrew Flint, everyone. Andrew Flint is back. You know, you've been leaving us alone for a couple of weeks now. I'm really sad, you know. But it's great to have you back. Uh, I feel like I'm well, the middleman, you know, between Siberia and the West Coast. I'm stuck in Munich, and you're over there in Siberia, and you're back.
3: Yeah, no, no, it's good. It's good to be back. A, a bit, been on the road a bit. I'm going to see some of the World Cup venues and things like that. So it is still in a loose way related to football grad work, so I hope to give a bit of an insight into an absolutely brilliant, magnificent, wonderful stadium that hosted a, I think apparently it hosted some match at the weekend, I'm not sure, but we'll see if we can remember.
1: (laughs) Yeah, No no clue, Uh, I'm pretty sure, (laughs) sure. Tim Tim knows all the details, (laughs) Um, but you you are also travelling to Saransk, we're still trying to figure that part out, Um, that's in your immediate future, isn't it?
3: Uh, Yeah, this weekend, Saransk, and then the weekend after that, I'll be going to Nizhny Novgorod, Volgograd, Samara, Rostov, um, so hopefully get a really good Mm. taste of of a lot of the World Cup host cities in the next couple of weeks or so.
1: And one of those cities, Nizhny Novgorod, is actually part of the topics this week, so we will discuss that particular stadium and particular team in, in greater detail. But before we do this, we have a full house today, boys, because... Oh, fourth person on the podcast, Vadim, you're also in the house. Um, I got a no fire alarms today for you. You had to run last week because you were smoked out of your room. Well, there wasn't actually a fire, but oh, yeah, I did. Oh, that's a letdown. <laughs> I did
4: have to I- vacate the building, but I'm in my apartment today, so hopefully, hopefully no fire alarms. I don't think I even
1: have a fire alarm, so. i don't know if that's a good thing or not but you are in your in your building today because there is going to be another fire test in the other building right yeah that's correct unfortunately (laughs) well you know we're actually going to do things the other way around and we're going to start the biggest match that we possibly one of the biggest matches we have in that region and um that's the klasični, and uh but Dean, this, this is, this is still a very big match. And, um, you had to just leave the podcast last week because of the fire alarm going off. Um, just as we were trying to, uh, preview it. So Tim, we had to do it. And I think one of the things, Tim, that we discussed that we kind of hoped that Dinamo would win it so that we had a leak, right? As you said it. And that's exactly what happened. They did win it. And now. We have a league, the two teams are only three points aside, apart from each other. Before we give a assessment, is that pretty much the best thing that could have happened to the league at this point?
2: Exactly. For neutrals, maybe not for Shakhtar fans, but for neutrals for sure. Because yeah, like we said, uh, we will have a league and especially like, like we, uh, like Vadim, uh, uh-huh. told us the, in the last episode before he escaped that uh, there will be, uh, like the last match day will feature both team playing and hopefully, uh, they will come in the same position. Zero points and ho- or three points where, where everyone will uh, be decided in the final match day, like a proper final of the league. But in quick question to you, how is it going to be in terms of, uh, the, um, if, if, if they even equal the points, how they will decide the, uh, the, the trophy? Is it be, is it like the number of victories? Is it the games between them? Because as I understand, Dynama has the, the advantage for now.
4: They do, but it's goal difference. And as of right now, Shakhtar has a 10 goal lead in goal difference, which is kind of unfortunate because what they used to do in the Ukrainian Premier League is they had a, a golden match, so they didn't even do tiebreakers. If it was uh, equal points, they'd play one match, which was essentially a final.
1: Oh, they, they do that in Italy too. I, I love that. I think that's such a brilliant idea to, to go at the end of the season if two teams are even on points to have a final. Um, and there, was, there has been a golden match in the past before, hasn't there, Randim?
4: Uh, yeah, there has been, but unfortunately, we won't have one this season, but, you know, if if Shakhtar end up losing one of their upcoming matches and Dynamo win all of the remaining ones, I don't think that's likely, but if it does, then the last match effectively will be a golden match.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant stuff, but the, you know, the, the question I have for you, Vadim, we talked so much about Dynamo and um, how they, they struggled over the last two seasons or so, um, and even this season with Katskevich hasn't been that great. So what what do you think has changed all of a sudden? Do you think one of the big factors is maybe that Schachter have um eased off a little bit um, going into this? You know, the fact that they're no longer in the Champions League and they haven't played quite as per- perfectly of a campaign as they have last year. But at the same time, Dynamo have been a bit more consistent. So... What do you think has changed? Why all of a sudden this this only a three point gap as opposed to I think it was 14 points at the end of last
4: season? Well, part of it is that Shakhtar have not had as good of a campaign as last season. Mm. But it's interesting because, you know, recently when, when I've been on the pod and we've talked, I've been saying and I think we've been in agreement that there really isn't much of a title race. Yeah. Even though it seems close to the league table, you know, Shakhtar are obviously the superior team. Their form so far this calendar year has been impeccable. They were winning all their matches by three, four goals. And Tim, I think you mentioned that you know a lot of their matches were basically like a like a training match. You know, they score yes. four, or five for fun, barely had to get out of you know first gear. But I'm wondering if maybe maybe that wasn't that wasn't to their advantage. Maybe the fact that they've been breezing through every single match, then they come up against Dinamo, really you know an important, not a must win, but at least a draw would have kept them six points up, and they they struggled. You know, this is the first time in a while that I think Dinamo can actually say that they were the superior team in one of these matches, or at least in the first half. So far this season, uh, Dinamo have won two and drawn one against Shakhtar. Shakhtar have yet to beat Dinamo this season, which I don't think many people expected. Uh,
1: hatskevich hatskevich so far has a has the advantage. Yeah, that's you know that's interesting. That's exactly what we discussed, right, Tim? Like you saying, oh well. The, They they did a lot of the games seemed like training matches. But one of the things that I was wondering when they, this was ahead of the second leg against Roma, which was a match, you know, now in retrospect, seeing what Roma has done to Barcelona, we we now saw how good the Schachter side was because they went out on the, the away goal, right, against Roma. And one of the questions that we were asking is now if they do go out against Roma, how how much, how much can they keep up the pressure? You know, that that maximum playing level, considering that they have been playing, all, except for Dynamo, only more or less friendly games where they've been scoring goals for fun. And um, that is really difficult, right? You have the Champions League gone all of a sudden while well, you're playing basically test matches. And um, it's very hard for a team to keep up that level of competition, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. And especially given how many foreign players there are in Shakhtar's squad, uh, for, for them, you know, going and playing, I don't know, Mariupol or elsewhere, I don't think it's like the biggest, uh, challenge in the world. Uh, maybe for local players, you know, they have this connection, it's easier for them, but it's for, for Brazilians and for our foreigners, I don't know how easy and how it's possible for them to get motivated and um i think that's the whole issue of that second tier of leagues in in europe we obviously have the very tough competitions in general overall in the top 5 leagues but then we have the um, Teams like, for example, Olympiakos in Greece before, then they consistently won the league for many, many years. And that was their issue because they didn't have a competition back at home. So when they transitioned to Europe, it's completely different challenge. And it was very hard for them to get motivated. And just Olympiakos is one of the examples. We have many clubs which could be in a similar position. And Shakhtar is definitely one of those clubs. And uh, this is where usually the the coaching comes into place because to keep a squad of ambitious uh, players uh, motivated, and ready for every single game. It's a very, very tough, uh, task. And I don't know how, how really coaches do that. But at the same time, you know, still uh, Shakhtar is in the first place. So even given that they've been playing quote unquote training, training matches, we can also just really celebrate one more time the coach Fonseca because, uh, the job he has been doing, um, really you know it's it it is a good job and like we've been talking and praising him um, for the past quite a while on this podcast and saying what kind of job he does so it's i think it's another um you know it is a challenge for him it is a challenge for players to keep motivated in those pretty much meaningless games where they don't even have to like yeah like like Vadim said get out of the first gear but uh, it's also there's a positive and uh, for the coach and at the same time listen there's still there's still in, in the first place. Uh, they had a great European campaign. I think for any, you know, football grab club to get out of Champions League, it is a success. Of course, everyone wants more, but getting out of group, it is already, in my opinion, a success. So, you know, it is tough, but they so far they've been doing the job, and it, pre- it will probably come down to that last match day. So they just need to get motivated for like a few more games, and I'm pretty sure that defeat from Dynamo will get them enough motivation to keep that doing and i don't want i don't think they want to be in a position then they lose this uh mass not massive but fairly big advantage and don't win the league so i think that will be enough motivation for them to keep them going and then we we'll have to see what will happen um in the after the season finishes
1: yeah no absolutely yeah vadim go
4: speaking speaking of motivation you know you're right Shakhtar that have more foreign players been, you know, in the, in the past decade or so more aligned and now Dynamo, they have this young group of core Ukrainian players, academy trained, that have never really won anything. You know, yeah. they've never really... They might have been in the squad when Dynamo won the Premier League and two of the past three seasons, but they didn't really have a role and now we have players like Tchankov, like Besedin, you know, they're all... They, they don't lack motivation and I don't think Hatskevich has to do much to motivate them. So Dynamo has that advantage, even if it's not an advantage in terms of the class of players and the talent. I think they have a lot of players that are, that are more hungry to win something. And you don't need any extra motivation to play against Shakhtar, you know?
1: Yeah, and that's actually something that I was going to ask you, Vadim, because, you know, one of the players that we have highlighted, um, on Football Grad, and we have a profile on him, um, on Football Grad actually is Viktor Sikankov, right? The, the, the young Ukrainian who has been fantastic this season, not just in, in this game, but generally, uh, he's been the club's top scorer. I remember when Dinamo finally sold Yamolenko. And I mean, I, I really mean it finally because this was an ongoing saga for, for many, many years. We were sort of wondering whether he was the player who would step in and take that position. And he has been fabulous this season, hasn't he?
4: Yeah, especially, especially this calendar year. He, uh, he's won the Ukrainian Premier League Player of the Month for March, and he's really and he's already been given the captain's armband, which granted six different players have worn the armband this mm-hmm. season. But I think to trust a 20-year-old with that level of responsibility, I think that uh, that shows his level of maturity and just how he's already developing into a leader at this very young age. Uh, I hope that if he continues to to grow and improve, that we won't see something like the saga with Artemenko, and that he will have a chance to prove himself with a top level European team, but he's still only 20 years old. So hopefully he can win the Ukrainian Premier League before, before that.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think personally, this, this is, this is maybe the, the positive and the negative, right? That the, the fact that he's such a big talent. But when you look at Dinamo Kiev and the way they have sole players, um, I mean, sole quote unquote, um, they have, they're not the best team when it comes to transfers in general. They have, Silke's brothers have a very odd transfer policy in general. So it's a great club when it comes to developing, especially Ukrainian players. But at the same time, they're they're also a club that doesn't really let go of players in the right way.
4: No, Ukrainian teams generally aren't very good at the transfer market. I mean, you saw Konoplyanka also. Hmm. When he did finally leave, he left for free. Uh, Dinamo just sold Vida to to Besiktas. Sorry, not sold, also let him go for free when... Had they even decided to sell him six months earlier, they could have could have actually made a profit. But incapable of doing that, sadly. Also, I I wanted to bring up about about Shakhtar because we really should mention this: the fact that they were playing. This was in a way this was a home match for Shakhtar, but they're playing in Kharkiv. You know, Mm. we all know why they're not playing in Donetsk. They haven't been playing in Donetsk for for years now. So when we say Shakhtar losing at home, it really isn't like losing at home. And Dynamo have advan- had this advantage for for three seasons now. Luchesko never never let them forget that. Fonseca hasn't really been bringing it up, but it's still sadly it's the reality of the current you know, current Ukrainian football.
1: Yeah, no, no, that's actually a really good point. Um, first of all, that the fact that this game took place in Kharkiv um, and the, the current ongoing political situation, because I think we can't stress that enough. How difficult the situation is for Shachter Donetsk because they're basically playing every game on the road. And they tried to play in Lvov, which worked for them, you know, only for the first few months. There seemed to be a lot of enthusiasm around the team. And, you know, then towards the end of, towards the end of this day in Western Ukraine, it was really only the Champions League games that attracted a lot of people. They thought, they hope to fix that by going to Kharkov, right? Vadim, because there's a lot more uh, refugees from the Donbass living there. But, at the same time, it seems like that they now, Schachter, have almost become a boggy man there too, mostly because they're trying to stay so neutral in the conflict. And I mean, there is, there is good reason for that, why they're trying to stay so neutral, because Donetsk is their home, right? At the one side, and the other side, they, they can't, they, therefore, they can't really, um, voice sympathy for the, um, the government troops, or they're trying to avoid it as much as possible because, you know, all the assets and everything are still, located in Donetsk. But on the other hand, they can't really voice sympathy for what's going on in the Donbass or for the Russian separatists because it's, you know, they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because they, they need to be pretty much neutral for political and economic reasons. So Kharkiv has been, first of all, wasn't welcoming home to them. But in the last few months, they had some really big political problems there as well, didn't they?
4: Yeah, th- yeah, I agree with everything you've said. And you also have to take into consideration that historically, Dynamo is the most popular team in all of Ukraine. Mm. So no matter where you go, even if it's in Kharkiv, a lot of people are going to support Dynamo. And Shakhtar have yet to beat Dynamo in Kharkiv, actually. They didn't have much trouble winning in VIV. But so far, uh, four matches in Kharkiv, and they haven't won a single one.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I, I, f- I find that fascinating. I mean... Uh, maybe it is because in, in Kharkiv, uh, it's, maybe that's the political situation, but I think it, a big part of it is also just the, the competitive level. You know, it's, uh, switching from friendly matches to, to basically playing a competitive match. And I think for Dynamo, they they they're, they're, they're uh, personally on paper, I think they're the side that is weaker. They're the weaker side of the two.
4: I don't think anybody will disagree with that. Yeah, yeah. Dynamo, anybody at the level of like Tyson or Marlos or anybody like that. But then
1: that means for them at the same time that they have to play, they play, have to play on a higher level in order to win games, you know, every match day. And you see that at the results that the 3-2 against Mariupol, for example, is a good example. That's a game that Shachter easily win 4-5-0, right? And Dinamo have to actually put in a work rate in order to be competitive. So you're going into a match and every game is an uphill battle. That, be, that can be a big advantage for you, um, in terms of being competitive in the league.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And on the Mariupol point, I actually want to bring this up because the gap, as we know, is three points right now. And where did Dynamo lose three points for no reason other than the fact that they did not want to travel to Mariupol? <laughs> so well, if, that, if that's what the league comes down to, if they ended up tied on points, and the reason that Dynamo lose to Shakhtar is because Surkis was too stubborn to send his team to Mariupol, that will be that will be one
1: story. That would be the icing on the cake. <laughs> on that entire story because yeah it, it could really well happen when you I mean you say it if they end up even on points let's say they win that golden match at the end of the season and it could be very well that both teams win all their remaining games and then shata win it by a goal differential of five goals I mean uh, Tim I, I feel like I have to bring you in on this too because we've talked so much about this with our team that'd be really that'd be the worst case scenario for dynamo wouldn't it I mean they the, the, Game would have been decided on the ta- on the table in uh, in Switzerland rather than you know on the field.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like we, none none of us want to see you know the football matches being decided not on, on the field or elsewhere. And again, knowing S- Surkis, I think he will even if that happens, he will turn it around and he's uh, probably in his favor and say uh, saying, listen, we ended up being on let's say minus three points or even even points, but in in. In reality, we have this plus three points from Mariupol. I'm pretty sure that even if they lose, he will just politically will turn it politically. And I'm saying not in a, you know, in a, I'm saying it's in, in a strategic way that he will say that, listen, still, let's still, it's still, he will prove the point. But, uh, honestly, um, you know, like I didn't know much about it before Vadim told us about it. And based on everything what Vadim said, it's just really a stubborn, Uh, decision which he made, and it really potentially would affect the title. Like, it doesn't really... We can't really say much about it right now, but when if it comes down to it, it will be a really you know, a funny slash sarcastic slash maybe even weird case. Yeah. And also tragic. (laughs) (laughs) I have have a really... depends depends who you support.
1: (laughs) I have a really interesting question for both of you, or actually all of you. Do you guys remember the the scandal in Italy, the Calcio Poli. I know you said, uh, put Poli on the end, and it always is a scandal, right, Odin? But Juventus, to this yeah. day, has not given up any of those titles that they lost, right? They still... we oh, sure will get sure. the same.
4: Yeah. They, they, uh, they celebrated their 30th Scudetto, yeah. and the rest of Italy only counted 28. And so as soon as Tim said that surkis will you know, still treat this as a victory, that's exactly what my my thoughts were too yeah that's that's the
1: first thing i thought of too because i mean this could happen right they could say like look we the only reason why we didn't win the title is because we we didn't like that we were not like we were deducted those three points or even if it was just one point it could be even just a point right uh, we never got to play Mariupol mariopol or we never got to play that match against mariopol and uh it, it is interesting because remember They were actually then, um, they actually decided that they would be willing to go after all. And then the league more or less said, no, you can't go because Schachter blocked it among others, right? So this is, this is really something that could happen that they, in the end of the day, the decisive point that is missing could be from that match. And that could cause a whole political crisis in the league as well.
2: Well, that's not the Greek level of drama, but it's kind of getting close to that.
4: It would bring everything full circle because the scan, everything began around last year in May. And now, if the league ends a year from that in May, because of, because, uh, Surkis first said that, you know, we don't want to send a team to Mariupol, that will just be a perfect
1: ending, depending (laughs) on who you support. So we could have two teams celebrating the title at the end of the season. I mean, you are laughing, but we, I, I've covered the Ukrainian Premier League for a long time now. I, I, I don't think it would actually shock me at this point if that. Yeah, it. Oh, we'll definitely keep an eye on this. Um, the, the one question that I had for you, even before we move on to the, uh, Ukrainian Cup, is Paolo Fonseca. Um, you said he's handled the situation about having to play basically every match on the road a lot better than Luchesco. And I think we can all agree that Ponseca is maybe the classiest manager in Ukrainian football at the moment. I mean, I featured featured him on a Football Grad article not too long ago, and I think he's a gentleman through and through. So he handles the situation very differently. But at the same time, there's these continuous rumors that he, he might leave. Um, Shachter Donets at the end of the season. That there's quite a lot, big short, short chance that he could. Um, one of the teams, of course, that were rumored to, to get him were Bayern Munich. They have gone a different path. Um, if you're interested in that topic, we covered that yesterday on the Gegenpressing podcast. Um, but another team that are very interested in him are, of course, Everton. Um, they are very strongly linked to him. And then, of course, there's the big three in Portugal and a few teams in Spain. What do you think Chachta's chances are of hanging, keeping keeping him? And there has also been a bit of a crazy rumor that Lucesco may be the one uh, who succeeds him in the end.
4: Well, in terms of their style and their attitude, I don't think you could find two managers that are more different. Mm-hmm. Lucesco did not waste a single opportunity to say how unfair the league is and how you know, Dinamo don't deserve to win, even though they have more points. You know, two seasons ago... Dinamo won the league, but never actually beat Shakhtar, and he said that they don't dis- basically, that they haven't actually won anything.
2: because to That become- sounds so familiar to Lochesco, huh?
4: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Konseca has been, yeah, as, as you said, he's been an absolute class act, and I think him and Hatskevich have a fairly, fairly good relationship, considering that they're the managers of the two biggest rivals in the country. As for Shakhtar's chances of keeping him, I'm sure, you know, they don't want to lose him already We've had an impressive European campaign
2: mm-hmm.
4: still likely to win the league I think but I don't I don't really know much about his own ambitions I don't know I, most most foreigners that go to Donetsk or, or Ukraine they see it as a stepping stone to some to greener pastures elsewhere in Europe and I think you know if if models and Tyson also decide that it's time to move on which I think they might and if they can get a A good offer, they might sell. I think Fonseca also might follow, but but also she might also want to cement, you know, more more of a legacy at Chaka before before jumping ship.
1: Yeah, I think the the one thing that maybe is was lacking this year. I, I think they could have maybe advanced another round in the in the Champions League. And I think this is this is just if you wanna if you wanna put in perspective how good of a manager he is, he literally was he they were one shot away from basically being where Roma is right now. You know, that, they're that good of a side. I thought that match was basically even. And, you know, unfortunately, Champions League arithmetics means that the away goal counts twice, um, or is the tiebreaker, which you may argue or not argue that that's not fair. Um, but in the end of the day, that's the only reason why Schachter went out. And, and you, you see how good of a side they were when you, when you see what Roma have done since. So it's, I think, you know, if you want to have an indication of good, how good of a manager he is, he, I think he's one of the hottest manager prospects out there. Um Before we head to, to Russia, Vadim, we might see this game not only on the final day of the season, but we're also going to have it in the Ukrainian Cup final. That will be held May 9th at the Dnieper Arena, is that correct? Uh,
4: that's correct, and... It would be very, very surprising if that's not the cup yeah. final, because Shakhtar is playing Mariupol in the semi-final mm. and Mariupol have 10 players on loan from Shakhtar and are basically owned by the same man. And Dinamo are playing Dnipro 1, which, just to be clear, is not the same as the Dnipro team that made the Europa League. <laughs> so if there's a different Dnipro, the other Dnipro still exists. They're playing the same division. They both play in the Ukraine third
1: division now. But it is not the same club. The Dnipro one is owned by the police, I believe, right? There's, uh, That's it's under police Dnipro, management. Yeah, the, the battalion,
4: yeah, which is actually most, you know, funded by the same man that owns the original Dnipro. So it's a interesting, interesting story in, in the Druhaliha, the, the second league, which is the, you know, the third division in Ukrainian football. But regardless of all the politics involved, uh, there's no, I don't, Think there's a feasible scenario where Dinamo loses to them, and likewise where Shakhtar loses to Mariupol. So on May 9th, we'll see that. Even even if it doesn't come down to the you know golden match in the league, the cup final will still feature both of these teams.
1: Yeah, I think you know I I have I have a feeling I really do have a feeling Vadim that we will have basically two finals at the at the end of the season. It's just gut feeling. Um, but looking at the table. So that, that's basically the very top. I, we all reckon Force Club will finish third, um, given that Dinamo and Chachter are both going to be, um, likely qualified for the Champions League anyways. That means that Force Club will be given that, that, that direct UEFA Cup, um, group stage place, right? And then, then Soria likely fourth. Force Club for the first time in the group stage, I believe, right? They nearly qualified a few seasons ago, but,
4: it was, a, I think, a 121st-minute goal that they that they conceded that blew their chance of making it for the first time. But now, this is, this, they just beat Zoda 3-0 at the weekend, so they've really solidified their grasp on third place. I don't think they'll lose it at this point. And also, uh, Mariupol might be in Europe. It'll also be ironic if the only reason Mariupol make it to Europe is because of that 3-0 technical victory.
1: Yeah, that that be, be that would be ironic. And then of course, uh Sokis would be would be up in arms because UEFA will say that you can't play international football there, right, in Mariupol. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I I feel the that, that Mariupol story is is going to continue uh, to follow us.
4: It's never going to go away, I don't think.
1: No, I don't I don't <laughs> think so either. But um I think that pretty much wraps up. The, the Ukrainian section of this podcast. Um we were not interrupted by a, a smoke fire alarm, so good job, Vadim. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah boys, I, I wanna at, at this point um move it over to the Russian Football Premier League because we had a rather big match um on the weekend that Tim is mostly trying to ignore. A- and I'm pretty <laughs> sure Andrew is mostly is just sitting on flames right now. As we are talking about, uh, about Ukrainian football, I I I can hear him. I I can hear him in the background, just like he's so excited, uh, to talk to us about what happened in Yekaterinburg. So, Andrew, um, I want to finally unleash you to our listeners. Tell us
3: what happened. Well, you know, um, time's up. I'm sorry, we have to go. (laughs) 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 Well, you know, every every football fan knows that one of the highlights (laughs) of the football calendar is is one of the many football grad derbies and i would like to point out that i'm actually unbeaten this weekend from the <laughs> last week um st petersburg robbed us of three points against two men in the fennel but perhaps more importantly at the kathleenberg arena um and this is, of course for anybody who's not a a regular follower of russian football this is the stadium you probably would have seen with two stands that are literally outside the, the stadium. Um, it's actually in the upper tiers, but it looks, I'll be honest, it looks fairly hideous. Um, it looks fairly ugly, but inside the atmosphere was absolutely fantastic, not just because of the acoustics, but because of a very, very mature performance from what was not really a first choice side for Rodale. Um And, uh, You know, Spartak came along and most most of the fans in the stadium were Spartak fans. This is what happens when Spartak come around the country, isn't it, Tim? You know what it's like. You know, in every city in Russia, there's a huge following for the club. Um, And I honestly, I struggled to find an oral supporter coming towards the stadium. But uh, it was pretty much full. Um, The upper tier of the, well, officially the Spartak section was the only one that wasn't really completely full. and. Yep, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a magnificent game, really. Dominic Dinger, I'd like to point out, a teenager who's barely played for Ural this season, uh, was magnificent in defense. Um, and, um, yep, yeah, it, uh, it was, a victory for Ural.
1: It was <laughs> a victory for Ural. That's it. You know, that sounds so matter of fact, Andrew. I expected something, I don't know, balloons raining off the sky.
3: <laughs> well actually now you now you've given me the invitation. I will go on a little bit no, no, but seriously no, but se- absolutely seriously though um i you know spartak had the disappointment i reckon of of seeing locomotive um absolutely hammered Dynamo Moscow the day before because that was an opportunity for Spartak to edge in front in the title race um but, um, it was you know Sparta had the possession they had most of the most of the chances without really threatening ordal's goal um but it was a classy finish from Eric Mcfalvey, and right on i'd say about eighty ninth minute or so um Ural had a breakaway goal to make it two 0 before Quincy Promise pulled on back um and it was the the atmosphere was fantastic, it really was it really was absolutely absolutely fantastic stuff. Um, So, for a stadium that got a lot of stick, I was very impressed. Um, Security was very good. Fans got in on time. Um, But most importantly, um, I mean, Tim, I apologize for for ruining your title hopes. Um, (laughs) But um, if it's any consolation, you'll know that I will now have the, well, the temptation, the target, a genuine target of European qualification for Odal, now only two points off six. So, it's 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 an it's an incredible end to the season in the Russian Premier League now.
1: Yeah, let's let's stick with that topic first before we go to um, the title race, Tim. So you can you can wallow uh, in the pain for a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, because you, you point something interesting out there, Andrew. Um, the fact, yes, and and it is actually confirmed. UEFA has given the the title has decided that you, a couple of seasons ago that um, everywhere in Europe if the cup winner, right, is already qualified for Europe, then the the extra spot goes back to the league, uh, which would mean sixth will qualify for the Europa League um, because fourth place currently hope by Senate would directly go into the group stage, which would mean that uh, I think they start in the third or third qualification or maybe fourth qualification phase of the Europa League. Um, so yeah, you, you're right. Sixth place. And that means, uh, Ufa, Arsenal, Tula, Ruben Kazan and Ural are the teams fighting for that spot, which is a passage for any of those four teams. I mean, Ruben Kazan have the history of playing in Europe, but the other three really don't. Mm-hmm. And that, that is a fascinating story because if one of those three teams make it, that will, will include, a, introduce a team to European football that a lot of people won't know very much about, which will be, of course, a fascinating topic for us next season.
3: Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's so many angles on it. Um, I mean, at, I'll, I'll, I'll focus on all that because that's the mm. team I know best, of course. Um, there are some players we've signed. Uh, Petrus Brumal is a Cameroonian, uh, Cameroonian-born uh, holding midfielder who has just been absolutely first class since he's arrived. Um, Otman El Kabir is a Dutch winger, he scored the second um at the weekend. These are these are class players who are realistically, if I'm hand on heart, they're a class above Portal. Now, if they get this you know fantastic opportunity to somehow sneak into Europe, they might genuinely hold on to these players. And this is this is what happens in the middle of the Russian Premier League. There's such a high turnover of players pretty much year on year. Mm. Um it's so hard for these these clubs of this middle bracket to really push on to be European challengers simply because it's so hard to build a a sustained um, squad. You know, if if you develop players in the rare occasions that the big clubs, you know, dip down further down the league, um, you know, the best players will be taken. um, And the best players you bring in from abroad, they look at it as a stepping stone. But this is an absolute golden opportunity for, I mean, I would argue for Ufa, Arsenal and Rural particularly, to actually hold on to some of their... Um, some of their new signings. So, um, I mean, as it stands right now, two points separating four teams um, right in with a shot at six. Uh, I, I honestly think it's fantastic. I would almost argue that the Russian Cup, given how little most teams value it, I'd almost say, why don't the league just say, look, there isn't a European place for the Cup. Make it six places in the league because this is the competition it can genuinely encourage. So it, it's, it could be a very, very interesting Potentially, a watershed moment for at least three of those four clubs, or one of them, whichever one is successful, um, because, like you mentioned, Manu, that that trip into the unknown mm. for them and for other teams they would face. Can you imagine a team looking on the map saying, "You, where is that?" I mean, they will have heard <laughs> it World Cup, but um, you know, with that new stadium, mm. atmosphere could be could be electric. The fans would get behind a European campaign. It would be, it, it could be absolutely phenomenal. So, um, Timmy, I know again it's no consolation, but I will be supporting your boys tomorrow against Tosno in the semi-final.
2: Well, at least something from you, Andrew.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I will. Su- <laughs> I'll support you in that way, buddy. Uh, I,
1: I have one final thing though, and I'll stick this, I give this to you, Tim. And um, you know, of the three teams, Ruben Kazan, of course, we've talked great lengths about how they're one of the weirdest teams in Russian football they just are you know if you want to find out why listen back to some of the podcasts where we talk about Rubin in great length but let's UFA, Arsenal and Ural we have many many times talked about how small teams in Russian football are so dependent on state money they're always in on the verge of bankruptcy those three teams have been there in the past but haven't been in a long time they are very well run now nowadays right and for them to get to Europe would be of course a great case example of how how to do it for a small Russian team to, to say look yes we have to buy and sell players that's how we're going to make money right in the long term um, UFA of course they were the team that had uh, Sinchenko and sold him to Manchester City and made money that way and it's small it's little cash amounts that help small teams like that but it's really a school on how to run a team properly and Ural of course great example they will have a World Cup Stadium so they have actually the edge of those three Because they will actually have a stadium that they can use in Europe, right, next season. So, is this really one of those watershed moments? If one of those teams make it, they can. It's kind of like to show for other small teams in Russia how to run a club.
2: It will be, but it doesn't mean that everyone will follow. Because, like we mentioned many times on this podcast, that the Russian football system have some really complicated club structures and when uh the clubs are owned by the state and that the transition from the state to the personal ownership is uh very rare and very complicated. But uh, yeah if one of those clubs um Ufa Arsenal Ural will get to the Europe this will be really a celebration because those clubs have done uh very well in terms of really club management recently. Um even Arsenal they went down um to the FNL and then came back still they they have been the club which have been doing things right uh us since they got to the premier league they've been doing things right again they 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 they're very good they had the former uh yeah they have the current uh, sky management uh Ganchirienka, now they have sergey simak who you know already has been have been linked with uh job uh, with zenith so they are developing lots of young players, and that's their thing, and they sold Sinchinka to Manchester City, like you said. Arsenal really also d- developing the club, even with relegation. Uh, they get lots of people. Usually, the average attendance is close to 10,000 sometimes. So, if, for, for Russia, it's massive. Ural like Andrew said, it's definitely really a club, which also gave a few good players to, to the league, and also developing because now they have the stadium so that's a sign but the, to answer your question I don't think that you know too many clubs will be able to follow that because I'm just looking at the table right now and in and those are in the let's say if you if you look below the top five those are the only three clubs plus Rubin Kazan who kind of fit that model of that a well run smaller club, uh, everything else I'm looking below the table, it's the clubs which are owned by the state and don't have that mm-hmm. um, ownership. So that example, I don't think that will transition to other clubs. Um, but it's exciting to see, like, like if somebody would have told me that Ufa, Arsenal and Ural, let's say five years ago, somebody told me that they will be potentially uh, fighting for europa league place, i will say that you're co- completely insane and crazy that shows that um you know it is exciting in russia but at the same time it shows that there's not that much consistency and you know the clubs which we don't, don't expect they do well so i don't know uh, it's 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 exciting it's interesting uh, but does that mean that it's it is good it is you know the league is doing better i'm not sure
1: it's interesting that you mentioned that excitement and consistency because the, the club that I want to talk about next is Rostov. And Rostov opened their new stadium. And it's a brilliant facility. The, the pictures of it absolutely look stunning. I think they were gifted just a very beautiful stadium. And they, they're currently managed by uh, Karpin, right? And he actually, that was their first victory on the weekend to, to, against Garhaborov since he's taking over December 19th. It's actually hard to believe that it took them so long to finally get a win. And that was a very vital win for them because it kind of lifts them off a little bit of that relegation drop zone. They're now six points clear of Anchi Mahajkala who occupy that um, final promotion relegation spot, right? Um, sorry, actually, two points from Amka We who who are in that final promotion relegation spot. So they're still in a little bit in the danger zone. Um, so that's vital three points for them. The, the reason why I'm saying this they were in the Champions League only last year, right? That's inconsistency right there. They of course always had financial problems. They, they're very much lifted by Berdieff and his work. Um, and they are they they are still in the danger of maybe being relegated at the end of the season. And that would would be another World Cup city um, not playing in the in the first division. So is this kind of you know that kind of inconsistency? That we're talking about and also um and maybe i'll give this to you andrew in terms of rostov they are a club that have enormous potential because of the new world cup stadium but the the fact that there's a bit of inconsistency there and that the financial situation has been poor in the past this is really the season where they have to stay in the league right not just for um, the, the World Cup organizers, but really also for them as a club, because they, they are sitting on a enormous potential now, but they're also only two points away from potentially playing in the playoffs.
3: No, yeah, you're absolutely right, Manu. It's, um, it's critical on so many levels. And that's, you know, when I'm, when I said earlier that this is fascinating on so many levels, not all of them are positive ones. Like you say, it's, well, it's the long term health of the club is obviously far more important than another glamorous European campaign. But you know, Tim does make the point. Look, we it, it is exciting for well, for me personally as a follower of a club that might get into Europe for um, well, into Europe proper for the first time. Um, that's that's thrilling. But there is the there is the other side of it. There, there's also another element to remember. Um, you know, you know, Rostov as as a club, I believe, I'd, I'd find it very hard to believe that they would not be supported, even if they did go down. I don't believe they would be completely abandoned, partly because, or well, mostly because of the World Cup stadium, that's one thing, but because they do represent a large area, a large city, well, you know, relative to most countries, a large city. Um, but there's also the matter of the coefficient points. Now, the fact that sixth place actually is on offer at all would not have been the case two seasons ago, simply because that... The, the coefficient points have been improving relative to the Portuguese and, and the French League. So, you know, if a club like Arsenal, Tula, Oral, Ufa, go into Europe, there is that risk that Russia will drop below um, the Portuguese or the French League again and then lose a, an extra place that they've gained in recent years. Uh, and then we're back to square one again in, in the European sense. But the, you know, the survival of a club as an entity full stop, that's, a, that's an important point you get relegated to the fnl and unless you are i mean you do have to be backed to get out of the fnl um clubs like krulia for example Krulia sovieto they um, they've held on to one or two of their more experienced players and they they look like they will at least be in the re- the promotion playoffs um but unless you are look at mordovia saransk that is a world cup city and they went down to the second division. Now they're going to come back up. They're, they as good as won their second division league. So they'll be back in the Fenial next year. But I mean, that could easily have been a, a genuine case of a club almost going out of business. Um, you know, if they, if they had not been given the World Cup stadium, I'd say they would be out of business by now. Um, so I think, I think what this race for six brings into sharp focus, um, is is the fact that it is not the established, you know, six or seven biggest clubs in Russia that are challenging for all these places, um, in a positive and a negative way, and I think mm. that's important. If it was just the Moscow teams and Ete Petersburg, perhaps Ruben Kazan added in there. If it was just those clubs getting into Europe every time, then, and it's going to sound awful and ironic given that I follow Rodal, but most fans of Russian football wouldn't really care. They wouldn't really care if it was Boral who got relegated or Rostov who got relegated. But the fact that those are the clubs that are in the mix means that people are starting to focus on the health of these these clubs and the legacy they leave. So I think for positive and negative reasons, it is one of the most important seasons in Russian Premier League um, well, recent history at least, um, and not for the traditional reasons. And that's why I think it's so positive to see overall as a as a fan.
1: Yeah, and, and Tim, what do you make of this? I mean, Rostov, if they go down, that would be a blow for the World Cup, right? And um, I want to talk in a second about the, the other stadium that opened in in Novgorod, But it, it is a possibility. And the fact that there is, these two promotion relegation playoff spots. We have seen teams last season lose the first division team lose that promotion relegation playoff match to the team in the second division. Um, that would be a huge blow for the World Cup
2: organizers, wouldn't it? Yeah, yes, yes, it, it will. But to be quite honest, I don't like. I hope that Rostov doesn't uh, doesn't get relegated. Um, it will be very hard for them to get relegated straight. Um, uh, to uh, to this so only through the uh, relegations playoff, uh, th- they had a very tough start. Like uh, v- v- Valeri Karpen, who came to uh, to to manage them, uh, they had games against Krasnodar, Zenit, CSKA, and Lokomotiv. Uh, and uh, right away, when he started, so it was it was very tough calendar. At the same time, um, everyone like lots of journalists who watch their games, and I even myself, I watch all their highlights. Everyone says that they have uh, the um, they have the, the the play they have tactics set up. They're they are not a bad team in terms of just in terms of personnel. The way Valeri Karpen's um, sets up his his team, so um, they they are they they're not in a great position, but they are, they look so far stronger than uh, the team below them based on just the personnel and on just uh, the style of play that they currently have. Um, I really don't want them to, to get relegated, obviously, because I'm a big fan of Valeri Carpin. But at the same time, like you said, we want those big stadiums and to be in the top division because having, um, stadium in Saranskis in NFL or even worse in the third tier division doesn't really makes too much sense. And, uh, but I think if we will have lots of those uh, stadium in, in the top division, it will just bring the value of the whole league up. Just, just even from the television picture point of view, because like it will look nicer. Even half, uh, empty stadium in, let's say Rostov is better than this horrible Tom Tomsk stadium, which we had, which was had a half, uh, destroyed, uh, stand, which was facing the television cameras. And it was a, a completely just disgusting view on the TV. So I don't think, I don't think Rostov will be in trouble. And the worst case scenario, they might. Go into that re- relegation playoff, but, um, hopefully they will stay and it will be better for the league if they will do stay and, um, continue, you know, having those players and that stadium in the league. Yeah, and it's, it is interesting that you say that
1: because yes, we want those stadiums in the, in the first division, right? Ideally, that's where, where they're supposed to be because I think what, what's going to happen when we see this this year with the Kristofsky stadium and in, at Spartak too, two World Cup stadiums in the first division that are regularly filled. And I think, you know, we already uh-huh. alluded to it, Ural is having the same experience now because people don't only want to go see the football match, they also want to be in a nice stadium. You know, you get the stadium tourists and stadium tourists, a lot of the stadium tourists, if the product is good, stay and watch the games. Um So I think to have the stadium in the first division, that's that's ideal. But right now, I mean, when we look at the teams, at uh, the, the various facilities, we have, of course, Ekaterinburg, Moscow, St. petersburg rostov kazan um those are only five of the 12 world cup stadiums in the russian football premier league and rostov are in danger although i agree with you i think they'll be fine in the end of the season but let's look at the other stadiums right out of the 12 um we have lushniki of course that's that's lushniki is a completely different topic there will be there will be games there there will probably be champions league games there there will be um, the national team Nationals. claim, yeah, there's cup finals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So let's take that out of the equation. Fine. But Sochi, no team. Um, and we'll go and talk about that in a bit more detail in a moment. Samara, uh, chance of being promoted. That's good news. So, you know, that would add a sixth stadium. Mm-hmm. Initially, North Novgorod, Olympiads. And I, I spent some to- time talking to the organizers and I, I gathered Andrew, so will you when you go there? Uh, it's a really beautiful facility. When you look at the pictures of the opening day, it's just fantastic. And the, when I spoke to the organizers at the World Cup, they were very o- o- optimistic that Olympia, the team that is currently playing there, can one day return to the top flight. Of course, they had, uh, Volga Nizhny Novgorod that played in the first division, uh, for some time, but then went bankrupt and actually got dissolved. Um, so it can happen even to the top team. I don't, again, I don't think it's going to happen to Rostov, but Olympiads is now playing there. at They half the lofty goals of returning to the top flight, but they are in danger of being relegated to the uh, third division. Um Of course, they could still get out of that uh, danger, um, but only to the expense of another team, which is Rotor-Volgograd. Of course, Volgograd is another World Cup host city, so that I, I gather, one of the teams will be uh, in the third division. One of those two could very well end up in the third division. Uh, we heard, already talked about Saransk, at least good news there. They're going to be up, but you see what I mean, um, next season we'll have one, two, three, four, five teams, maybe more um, that are not in the in the first division, but have World Cup stadiums that's not ideal, is it?
3: Well, you know what um, I'm going to say it's on a personal point um, I actually do hope that uh, Olympiads and all Rotorov Rol- Rol- go down, because it's my club, men that are in the relegation zone at the moment, so um, I kind of need them to, mm. to drop points, but it's it's going to be it's going to be a laughing stock there's absolutely no way even if those clubs got up to the top flight and were competitive in the top flight i still don't think they would fill the stadiums even get close to filling them um you know the the only way it is remotely sustainable is to make these stadiums you know massively multi-purpose venues you know have You've but, got to make use of the site. it's gotta have offices, you've got to have other things But events Andrew,
1: and Andrew Roto, Roto is a team that in the nineties they filled their stadium.
3: Well, yes, but I just don't I don't see I don't see the connection really building that quickly. Maybe over years it might get there. But um I mean I remember I remember them being successful. They played against Manchester United in nineteen ninety five and they knocked Manchester United out of Europe. Um so they certainly did have a, a fair bit of success. Yeah, I, I, I do take your point. Um, Rota do ha- at least have that sort of history to latch on to. And like you alluded to, of mm. course, as well. Before Volga, initially Novgorod, there was history of football in the city. But um,
1: Yeah, I, I agree mean, with you. Initially, Novgorod is, is definitely a bit more of a difficult one. But, you know, Volgograd, that's a, that's a city. I mean, they were a team that, Tim, you remember this in the 90s. They were your closest challenger for the title.
2: Yeah, they were definitely, like, they were, like, Spartak had, uh, like, a kind of like a golden match last um, final day, uh, fixture against rotor away, and that was the t- title decider, and we won away, but it was a very, like, they were one of the top clubs, uh, but uh, I think the attendance will come with the performance, and performance will come with the proper management and financial uh, investments, so it's 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 hard really to, like, I I don't have enough knowledge to say Mm -hmm. if there's a financial backing for cities like Kaliningrad, Nizhny Novgorod, Volgograd, Saransk. I think if there will be a financial backup, I think that will be, then it will translate, like I said, to good football, and then the attendances will be there. Without that, I don't think if your team is mediocre side in FNL and you have a beautiful stadium, I don't think that will be enough to even, uh, fill, fill up that stadium yes there will be some football tourism but uh, still people want to see good performance so um, i think the you know we obviously want to see all those beautiful stadiums in the top division but it kind of has to be a structural and financial and it's just football management step forward and my hope that the world cup at least could give a small push in that direction. If World Cup and it really comes down to the Russian performance and overall, uh, experience of a Russian as a national, as, as a country, um, hosting that massive event, if there will be success, I think that might get enough to just yeah, to start pushing. And obviously that, that's a big, big, big job for the Russian FA to make it work to attract money to those stadiums, to those clubs. And even we talked about Dinamo St. Petersburg potentially moving to Sochi. If that gives them yeah. enough financial backup and uh, will help help to make this team stronger and to uh, fill up the stadium, th- that's their job.
1: Yeah, Andrew, there's a great article on Russian football news about Dinamo St. Petersburg possibly moving to Sochi. Um, the city needs a team, but that doesn't seem to be the right team. Um, I just think it's a, it's a shame because they're a historical side, but yeah, I guess that's pretty much what you were going to allude to as well, right?
3: Well, I mean, I I'm I'm violently opposed to um to moving uprooting an entire side from a city to I mean mm-hmm. not even nearby, completely um completely different area of the country I think I think it's just wrong and I think it was a it's a such a short-term view on how to solve the problem well let's just pick up a club that needs a bit of a boost and just put them there it just it doesn't work like that Um, and uh, this is what worries me about the about the sustainability of these um, of these venues that are being built they look they all look absolutely fantastic but I don't think there's enough genuine long-term planning as to how to make them sustainable I think basically the problem is this um, I can't remember which expert it was who was involved in the planning of a stadium in Coventry, the RICO Arena, which is about mm. a 30,000 capacity stadium. Coventry City, are, they've been a failing side for a long time. Um, they had to get the rug, a rugby team to play their, their home games as well. But the stadium was losing money, was leaking money like mad because the only source of revenue they had planned for was football. And what the expert was saying was that it, nowadays, you just simply cannot run a stadium unless you really are in the top bracket, regularly competing in bare minimum Europa League, but realistically Champions League. Unless you have a sustained source of outside revenue, that's why you see all these. Um, a lot of these new stadiums have, you know, hotels, office blocks yeah. have, um, you know, have different sources of revenue. I don't think there's enough planning along those lines. Um, the only obvious uh, two exceptions, I would say, um, in that other VB arena at Tierskauer with a lot of office space, but even they've not managed to fill a lot of that office space. Um, and uh, Krasadar Stadium, Galitsky's built, um, it genuinely looks like a fantastic facility for you know the city, yeah. not just the club. Um, and that's, that's what concerns me. I don't, I don't want to put a huge downer on it, but I think artificial measures to make these stadiums sustainable in the short term will paper over the cracks for a year or two and we may well see some much se- more serious problems. I've, I'm just going to finish on a slightly controversial note here. <laughs> you mentioned Olympiads and Rota being very near the uh, relegation zone in the Feniel. And I think your chuckle tells me you've guessed what I'm roughly going to suggest. These clubs, I think, will, let's just say, not be allowed to be relegated um, because it would be just a bit too much humiliation. I, don't, I just don't see it happening. Um I mean, could, really seriously, could you imagine them sitting there in their offices in Moscow thinking, right, um these are going to be two clubs, two states we've invested in the second division. That's going to be a nightmare, a drain of money. We can't let this happen. I I actually do sense a fair bit of underhand control going on there. Um, but anyway, we'll wait see. Until-
1: we had that, of course, in Brazil before the World Cup, so... Uh, uh, look. Let's, let's watch it, Andrew. I, I think I, I'd be very interested to do that. Let's watch it. And some, some of the things that you mentioned, I, I think we're going to have in our, uh, I think in a couple of weeks or so, we're going to start our Russian preview pods, Russian World Cup preview pods. There's going to be several episodes because we want to do it very thoroughly and, uh, just to, to give it away a little bit. Tim and I have been collecting player voices, right, Tim, uh, for the World Cup, uh, for players that are actually going. Um, we've got some interesting interviews already, so it's going to be very exciting. But yeah, um, with this controversial note, I want to wrap it up because we're out of time, <laughs> Andrew. But let's watch that one because I think it's a fascinating point. Um, Andrew, you're going to Saransk. You're going to cover that for football grad, a for Russian football news as well. Maybe, uh, some of the other outlets. Let us know what, what you, have you been up to? What's going on in your life in the, in the next few days?
3: Well, yeah, like you mentioned, Saransk is um, is this weekend coming up. Um, I've got a, a big trip planned, which will, like I say, I mentioned at the beginning of the pod, I'll be heading to Volgograd, Rostov, Samara and Nizhny Novgorod. Um, and I'll be hoping to either attend games or at least cover the stadium, have a look at the city, get a feel for how ready they are. So I'll def- there'll definitely be some content up on footballgrad.com about that. Um, and that's, that's what I'm most excited about, of course. And then, and then it gets to planning some on the ground coverage for the World Cup itself. That's, that's still a work in progress, but in the short term, visiting the host cities is what I'll be up to.
1: Excellent stuff. And Tim, uh, as we mentioned, we've been collecting player voices. You're going to continue to do that, right? Um, till the, where, where possible till the end.
2: Yeah, apparently now I'm in charge of the West Coast since you left to Europe and I will be uh, covering the Whitecaps games and uh, we, uh, our goal is to take as many as possible interviews with players who will be potentially going to the World Cup. It simply comes down to who will come visit And we'll play in uh, Vancouver and we will try to get as many interviews as possible. We already gathered interviews with players from Egypt and Costa Rica. So we will use those in our previews uh, for the World Cup. And hopefully we'll get some more because it's been very, very interesting. And the question, you know, it's really interesting to talk to the players. They give interesting feedback on their expectations uh, of World Cup in Russia. So yeah, uh, this is, this is will be what my main focus until the World Cup starts. Excellent
1: stuff, and Vadim, where can people find you? What have you been up to?
4: Uh, people can find me on football grad and on Twitter at v Furmanov. What have I been up to? I just have final exams, so that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> boring,
1: <laughs> but yeah, um good luck on those by the way. Uh, I know you're at Duke, you're studying very hard for that law exam, for the law exam, so really good luck um yeah I, that's pretty much it for this week, guys. Some exciting stuff. I've been your host, Manuel Weff. Uh, you can find me at Manuel Weff on Twitter. Um, and of course, all the content, everything that we do is at football Grad live. Uh, World Cup specials are coming up very soon. And, um, if you are interested, I will be in Paris on Thursday to give a talk on Russian, Russian football politics and, uh, soft power in Russian sport, um, at the Paris Nanterre University. So, um, that can, if you're interested check it out the the contact and the the dates and everything are on my twitter um right now so yeah um if you're in the area come check it out oh that is it for it this week boys until next week das wird done